Welcome to a patient safety podcast from Crico RMF. Crico RMF is the patient safety and medical malpractice company owned by and serving the Harvard medical community since 1976. The following case abstract is based on closed claims in the Harvard system. Some details have been changed to protect identities. A 52-year-old man with a physically active lifestyle and a 20-year history of hypertension that was difficult to control was referred to a surgeon after a CT scan revealed a right adrenal mass, about 4 centimeters. The surgeon recommended a laparoscopic adrenalectomy to remove the mass. The patient recalled that he was advised that laparoscopic surgery was less invasive and the recovery would be quicker. The consent form indicated he was also told that on rare occasions it might not be possible to do this procedure laparoscopically, requiring a slightly larger incision and a longer hospital stay. During surgery, significant bleeding developed. It looked like the bleeding was coming from the vena cava. The operation was converted to an open procedure, and the surgeon called for assistance from another attending surgeon. According to the operative report, the adrenal mass was fairly large and was located in the very superior position underneath the liver and medially underneath the vena cava, very difficult location. The bleeding was controlled, and the dissection of the right adrenal mass was accomplished without further complication. The patient received three units of blood. The surgeon did not see the injury occur, but thought that it was due to a small avulsion injury or the blocking off of a small tributary. In the recovery room, the patient's wife recalled the surgeon telling her that we hit the vena cava and there was a lot of bleeding. She remembered that the surgeon's scrubs were covered in blood. After their conversation, she went home and looked up vena cava on the internet. The patient woke up the next day in the intensive care unit on a respirator. He asked his nurse what happened since this was not what he expected. She told him that there was an emergency in the operating room and he would have to speak with his surgeon. After recovery in the intensive care unit and on the surgical floor, the patient went home eight days after surgery. The record reflects one postoperative visit by the attending surgeon with the notation for the patient to call if any problems. The patient and his wife felt that the surgeon was not forthcoming with an explanation of what happened and seemed indifferent to the impact on his patient. They sued the surgeon, alleging negligence in performing the adrenalectomy, resulting in prolonged recovery, persistent rib pain, delayed return to work, and a scar five times larger than necessary. They further alleged that the surgeon's failure to disclose significant risks prior to surgery prevented the patient from making an informed decision about whether to choose an open or laparoscopic procedure. The case went to trial and resulted in a verdict for the defense. To discuss the risk management and patient safety aspects of this case, Dr. William Berry joins us now. Dr. Berry is a surgical consultant for Crico RMF in the Harvard system. Bill, this case looks like a big example of how a provider can fumble the personal interaction with a patient and family so badly that a case that has no negligence really could go all the way to trial. So what could we learn from this? Is the surgeon's behavior so far out of the norm? Well, I think the surgeon's behavior is a little bit outside of the norm. And indeed, most surgeons don't get sued when they take patients and patients' families through similar kinds of problems after they go to surgery. The patient lived through this because of the skill of the surgeon in rapidly changing his plan and knowing what to do when all of a sudden the lenses of the laparoscope go black because the belly's filled, filling with blood. I mean, he knew right what to 
to how to open, who to call for, where to put his hands when he went in, or the guy would have died. So clinically, he did everything right. His clinical performance was outstanding. I, I really believe that. He did all the things that he needed to do in the order that he needed to do them once things started to turn badly. I mean, that's clearly where things fall apart is when he goes afterwards out to see the wife. And from her perspective, there's just no good communication. He didn't take the time then to sit down and, and walk her through what happened. He was using medical jargon. He, you know, he wasn't explaining fully exactly what had happened. He, he came out with blood on his scrubs, which is probably never a good idea. And then they were off on the wrong foot. That said, I think that even this surgeon, who may not be the most empathetic personality that one has ever met, could do some things that would be helpful in preventing the kind of communication breakdown that clearly occurred in this case between surgeon and family patient. So where do we start? Well, I think that this, this case provides a lot of illustration about the ways that the patient and the patient's family look at things when they don't go quite as the patient had expected. In this case, we, we know for certain that the patient was fully aware that this was a, a big operation to do in spite of the fact that the incisions were going to be small ones and it was going to be done through a scope. He still was aware there was a possibility that a large incision might be necessary and a bigger operation might be necessary if the, the tumor in his abdomen forced that to happen, which indeed is what happened. So. To me, looking at the way the case was set up in the patient's mind, I think the patient and the patient's family expected things to go well and that it could all be done laparoscopically and that he was going to go home pretty quickly. I think the real problem happens when that doesn't happen. And when that doesn't happen, the patient needs to be supported through it. The patient's family needs to be supported through it. They need to be given a really good understanding of what happened that changed the course so drastically. And when you look at how the patient's family reacted to what happened, that support pretty clearly wasn't there. And I think it's very helpful if a provider can be very empathetic to the way that the patient and the patient's family feel after something like this happens. That empathy can go a long way to keeping the family and the patient on the side of the provider. But just the facts themselves and some kind of expression that you care and you wish this hadn't happened can take you a long way to preventing this from ending up in a court of law. So we don't usually see cases won or lost specifically on informed consent alone, absent any other negligence. But we do find that the better the informed consent process, the less likely that a patient's going to go to an attorney or that that attorney is going to take the case. So can you explain what that consent process should look like? 
And a lot of physicians don't really think about informed consent as a process, but it really is. Informed consent is, is actually wrapped up in the entire process of preparing a patient to have an operation. From the initial contact with the surgeon all the way through up, up to and through the operation to their patients. The patient needs to have enough information to make a reasonable judgment as a lay person about whether or not they should proceed with the plan that's being proposed to them. And I think it's that simple, but the important piece is this is a conversation, which means it isn't just a one-way lecture and presentation of facts and, and there is judgment involved in this. I mean, you're walking a thin line between giving people enough information to make a decision and flooding them with so much information that they get overwhelmed and can't make a reasonable decision. How do you walk that line? Well, I think that some of it depends on the patient, too, and their particular receptiveness, the feeling that you get about whether they understand or not. I mean, there are, there are some tricks that we can use to make certain that our patients understand what we're saying. And probably the, the best one is to have the patient tell us back what it is that we told them. And I think a really a surgeon that's really skilled in doing informed consent uses that liberally. They'll explain something to the patient, and then they'll ask the patient to explain it back to them. It, it, it sounds like this, you know, it would be tedious and take a long, long time. But first, it's whatever time it takes is time well spent because it's you're setting expectations, you're preparing the patient mentally to go through some kind of a a big surgical procedure, and it usually doesn't take that much time for the vast majority of operations that we do. Thank you. Bill Berry, surgical consultant for Crico RMF in the Harvard system. I'm Tom Agello. This has been a patient safety podcast from Crico RMF. More information about Crico RMF and the efforts at Harvard to deliver the safest healthcare in the world is available on our website at www.rmf.harvard.edu.